1 Corinthians 12 just a little bit, and then I got detoured. I was going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But I got detoured. But, you know, when you look at the, at the nine gifts of the Spirit, um, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, uh, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation. Uh, when you look at those, you know, there's kind of like um, healthy boundaries laid out in Scripture for all of those until you get to the working of miracles. That just kind of blows all the boundaries away, doesn't it? How are you going to put limits on miracles? <laughs> you know? Actually, how are you going to put limits on healing? We've kind of done that. We've kind of, well, it works this way, and you pray for this body part this way. And you pray. Um, how, about a, how about a gift of healing for healing broken minds, broken hearts, broken relationships, broken families, broken businesses, broken cultures? How about, how about expanding our faith a little bit in the operation of all the grace of God that's available to us? Amen? And, uh, and I really believe the Lord wants to blow some of those limitations apart for us. And I believe we're coming into a time that this is my personal opinion. Okay, I do have opinions. Uh, my opinion is that we're coming into a time that Daniel prophesied about, where he said, those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. Things that history will remember, you know? You know, there's so many people in Scripture that Scripture remembers for one significant event. Just a shining moment where their faith allowed them to, to really do something consequential. That could be every one of you. Maybe there's a, a shining moment that God has for every one of you to make a difference that will change history. Amen? And we should be believing for that. So Exodus 34, I want to uh, share with you a little bit. And if the Lord gives us grace, maybe we'll enter back into worship a little bit. I don't know if we will or not. We'll see uh, what the worship team is up to this morning. Um, Exodus 34, 29 says, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Did you know when you spend time in the presence of the Lord, something happens to you? Did you know that when you walk with God and God walks with you, there's something transformational that happens to, to your countenance. When Moses came down from the mountain, he was carrying the law, representing the righteousness of God. This law represents God's standard of righteousness. And the righteousness that he carried wasn't a result of what Moses did or didn't do, but a result of him spending time in God's presence. The righteousness that he carried wasn't the result of what he did or didn't do, but of spending time in his presence. 
And when it came to man's efforts to live up to God's standard of righteousness, that glory quickly faded away. But because he spent time in God's presence, the glory of God was on him visibly. And it freaked the people out. We're going to experience more and more of people getting uncomfortable around us. People who aren't hungry or open. And then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as, uh, as commandments all that God had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. So because the glory of God was veiled in the Old Covenant, Moses wore a veil to cover his face. And the veil was to cover the glory because unredeemed people couldn't handle it. It brought fear. It was something that they couldn't enter into under that covenant. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the people of Israel whatever he'd been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So under the, old, under the new covenant, we no longer hide or cover the glory. It's important that we understand who's on the defensive here. It's not God's people who are on the defensive. It's the enemy who's on the defensive here. The enemy's sensing that there's something happening that terrifies him. And so he wants people to cover their face. Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come. You have a light, and it has come. What did Jesus say? He says he's the light of the world. And what did he also say? You are the light of the world. Because he's living in you. And so the light of the world has come through Christ in you. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness will cover the earth, and gross darkness or deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be what? Seen upon you. This is not just an allegorical word. His glory will be seen upon you. When you spend time in the presence of God, when you walk with God, when his glory is manifested to you in your worship time with the Lord, whether it's personal, private, or whether it's in corporate worship, the glory of God begins to change your countenance. I don't know what happened to you when you got saved, but I know what happened to me. I know who I was before, and there was a deep darkness over me. I remember a preacher coming to me after I met the Lord. He said, man, he said, you look like a different person. He said, a couple of months ago when I, when I looked at you, I thought I was looking at the devil. 
That's how dark I was. That's how oppressed I was. And I literally would connect with some people after, I'm, after the Lord set me free, filled me with his presence, who didn't recognize me. They said, no, I don't know who you are. I'm like, come on. No, seriously, I don't recognize you. Who are you? No, that's not you. That can't be you. So how is the enemy able to counter the glory of God coming on God's people? Try to force us to cover the glory on our face? Get used to that? First of all, this is not about us. I want you to understand, I'm not saying you shouldn't wear a mask in order to go into a business that requires it or anything. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not the point of my message. That's between you and God. What I'm saying is there is a strategy behind it that comes from the kingdom of darkness of of trying to acclimate us to living with our face hidden from, from people because there's a glory coming on God's people that the enemy's terrified of. It's God's, it's God's nuclear weapon against the powers of darkness. Try to separate the body of Christ so we can't come together and worship. Try to shut down the only army that's powerful enough to counteract his strategies and his purposes. Force us to anti-social distance from each other. It's not social, it's anti-social. One of the basic needs of people is to be in healthy community. You know, I don't know how many of you remember the story of the, of the, the little orphan babies in Russia. That, that when they would put them in an orphanage and they'd, they'd feed them and clothe them and keep them warm, do everything without him, but no human touch, they would curl up and die. Because it's a basic need that we all have to be connected to each other. And somebody would say, well, you don't understand. People are actually getting sick and dying. Well, I know that. I know that. And sadly, some of them are dying alone and isolated. And if they had some human touch and human connection and human compassion and love flowing, they might have lived And the way that it was, they died alone, isolated, abandoned, feeling rejected and unloved. No matter what their head knew, that's what they felt because they were isolated. And that's that's a terrible, ungodly way to die. Because of what? The Gentiles shall come to your light. Doesn't say they'll come to your word. They'll come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come to you from afar. And your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant. 
And your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. There's a great harvest of nations that's before us. And, and Lucy, I'm going to call him, is, I don't think there's any Lucys here that are offended by that. <laughs> if there are, I'm sorry. Lucy's prophetic enough that he understands something is coming and he's terrified of it. In fact, sadly, sometimes he's more prophetic than a lot of God's people are. Because when a lot of God's people want to go hide in a cave in fear, you know, Lucy knows what God is doing to the degree that he tries to shut us down any way that he can. The greatest harvest of nations of all time is just before us. The greatest generation of spiritual warriors is being birthed. You're a part of that. It's why you're here. When the Lord said to me, if you shut down the church, you'll be guilty of a partial birth abortion. That's what he was talking about. He was birthing something here that would have died if we shut down and disconnected the people. God is birthing a generation of warriors to bring in a great harvest of souls that we would have missed, that we would have missed. And I'm not saying that everybody that shut down is going to miss it. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's why this morning as we worship, we needed to do it not just and intercede, not just on our behalf, on behalf of those who don't have the freedom to get together right now. Because many of those can be gathered into this great harvest of, of souls in the nations as well. And we need to not be in judgment over them. Praise God in Ohio, the church was always considered an essential service, and we were never ordered to shut down. Praise God for that. I, you know, if we were in some, some states where they were commanded by, you know, that would have been a whole different thing. We'd have had to pay a whole different price. We'd have had to redefine our meetings as protest meetings. <laughs> which we would have. We are Protestants. That's what we do. We have plenty of things to protest. We can protest the works of the devil. We can work, we can protest tyranny in government. We can protest our First Amendment rights being violated. You know, there's plenty of things to protest. We can protest sickness and disease. You know, we are the yeast that causes, the leaven that causes the culture to be acceptable to God and not come under judgment. You know, when, when God called the Lot and his family out of Sodom, there's a reason why Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. The salt was leaving the city. You are the salt of the earth. When the salt leaves, judgment comes. We're never intended to, to leave the culture and to allow judgment to come. We are what stands between the culture and the judgment of God. It's, we are the salt. 
We are the light. We are the leaven that, that causes it to rise and be acceptable before the Lord. Oh. Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. It says, If the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was so glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, Because, because of uh, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? That, that's a cool story, right? Moses coming down and his face shining so that he had to put a veil over his face because the people were afraid. Is that how will this ministry not be more glorious than that? What God's doing in you is greater than what he did in Moses. You have to understand that. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glory, what remains is much more glory. The glory that God is bringing on you and on me is an eternal glory. It's not going to pass away. It's only going to grow and intensify as you continue to, to live and walk in his presence and walk through life with him and come into his presence and worship him with no guilt, with no shame, with no condemnation, with no judgment. That's how we're going to overcome the accuser of the brethren like it says in Revelation 12. We're the ones that are going to overcome him. We're, don't be sitting back thinking Jesus is going to whoop the devil someday. We're going to overcome the accuser and have him cast down. It's our job. It's our job to live in the presence of the glory and to begin to carry the glory. We are the priests of God. We are the bearers of the ark. Listen, the new cart of technology can never carry the glory. I didn't say God wouldn't use it, but what I said is the glory is carried by us, not by the new cart of technology. When they tried to bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem in a new cart, someone reached out and thought they had to steady the ark when it went over some rough terrain and died on the spot. David got offended. Put that ark somewhere for a while because I'm mad. He got offended at the Lord. So they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom had, had an opportunity. The glory of God was in his house. Everything he did prospered. Word got back to David. The house of Obed-Edom is prospering. Everything, the blessing of God is just all around him. David's like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I missed something. So, so they began to study and research what had happened and what had happened. He said, oh, we weren't supposed to put that ark on a cart. We were supposed to carry it on the shoulders of the priests. And so they came and brought the ark with much blood. 
and much celebration and carried the ark back to Jerusalem. What a celebration. You are the priests of the Lord. You and I are priests. We're a kingdom of priests. We're called to bear the ark, to carry the presence of his glory. And whenever Israel carried the ark and walked in obedience to the Lord, they never lost a battle. Both of them were necessary. Carry the ark and walk in obedience. You can't carry the ark in disobedience because it won't work. It's not a magic formula. But carrying the ark and walking in obedience to the voice of God, they never lost a battle. When you carry the ark of God's presence with you and you walk in obedience to his voice, my sheep, he says, know my voice and another they'll not hear. It says if you look it up, the original words, my lambs hear my voice. My sheep know my voice. And another, every one of us is to hear, the, hear and obey the voice of God speaking to us. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. The separation between us and God is removed in Christ. The veil, when, when Jesus died on the cross, it says the veil was torn from top to bottom. It was initiated by God. It came from the top down. And the way that was always... Uh, blocked during the old covenant was opened up for all of us. The only one who could pass through that veil under the old was the high priest. One day a year on the day of atonement with much blood, with much fear and trembling, lest he die in the presence of God. If everything wasn't perfect, he would die. And, and, and their historical books tell us that they put a rope, tied a rope around the high priest's ankle so that if everything wasn't perfect enough and he fell over and died in the presence of God, they could drag him out. They could drag out his dead body. Scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw near to God. In other words, there's a kind of a play on words there that I like. Instead of a rope, we have a hope. Our hope is anchored within the holiest of holies, and we don't pull him out. We pull ourselves in. That's our hope. We pull ourselves into the presence of his glory. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, when the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Listen. If your heart has turned to the Lord, there's no separation between you and God. You might think, yeah, but I made this mistake and I screwed up here and I did. Forget that stuff. Jesus paid for that. It's not up to you to earn your way back into his presence. That's already been taken care of. You just need to receive it and thank him for it. If you could do something to earn it or deserve it, he would be insulted by that. 
because it means he didn't do enough. When he said it's finished, the price was paid, there's nothing you can add to it to make yourself righteous. There's no place for shame, condemnation, judgment. There's no, no place for any of that. You, you are now entitled to live in the presence of his glory. Yeah, but I got this messed up and this, that. Listen, let me, I, I got a news clip for you. You can't fix yourself. You can't go through enough programs and jump through enough hoops to fix yourself. But I know someone who can. And he'll do the work if you come into his presence and live your life in his presence. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Hirschberger translation says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. And I believe it's a more accurate translation. Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. The Spirit of the Lord is everywhere. But where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can't conform yourself to the image of Christ. He'll do it as you live in his presence. He's really good at doing what he does. You don't have to figure it out. It's too much work anyway. You know, I... Never mind. I like to rest in what he did. You know, and I, and I know there's things that we need to do, but the things we need to do are in obedience to him, not because we have to try to work our, our own way into something that, that we want to be as a Christian. Uh, we, need to, we need to learn to live our life in the presence of God and just obey his voice. You don't have to wear yourself out trying to be righteous. And, and all of us have a need for righteousness. Uh, some of you may remember this story, but I was sitting in a local restaurant with a lot of Amish and Mennonite, all kinds of religious uh, tribes and clans of people. And I'm looking at all the different ways that they define righteousness in their garb and so forth. And, and, uh, and, and honestly, I had a bit of an attitude about some of it because of where I come from and what I experienced. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, they're looking for righteousness. I'm like, whoa. That's actually a good thing. What I'm seeing is hunger for righteousness expressed in a religious uniform. Where that is, people are trying to be righteous the only way they know how. That's evidence of hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be filled. There's a blessing in hungering for righteousness. Even if you're doing it the wrong way, it's, that's where we come in. And showing them something that's real and genuine and tangible because it connects with the hunger that's already in their hearts. People shouldn't be able to live in our presence and live the same way. They, something that we carry should connect with them and, and awaken and stir that hunger inside of them. So we need to understand why the enemy is more terrified of what we carry and the power of it than any program or any teaching. And I'm not against programs and teaching. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is there's something that he's terrified of more than that. The power to change the world lives inside of us. So in Acts chapter 15, the apostolic leaders of the early church met in Jerusalem to discuss what God was doing among the Gentiles who were coming into the kingdom. And I'm going to pick up reading in verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they'd become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take, them out, to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, and then he starts quoting, After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins. And I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. So the tabernacle of David basically was a tent. So God obviously isn't talking about physical foundations. In the spirit realm, though, there's a powerful work going on and those ruins are being rebuilt. The message of David's tabernacle is basically this. It's a real complicated message. Whosoever will, come into the presence of God's glory and worship him. Whosoever will. Doesn't matter what tribe, what nation, what tongue. Doesn't matter what your family did or didn't do. Doesn't matter what you did or didn't do. God's inviting you to come into his presence and worship him. And as you do, something's going to shift and change inside of you, and you're never going to be the same again. And he himself is going to clean you up. He's going to wash you off. He's going to take your crooked ways and he's going to make them straight. He's going to make you take your rough ways and make them smooth. He's going to take your high places and tear them down. He's going to take your low places and build them up because he's going to build a highway for the presence of the Lord into your life. And then you'll become a highway for others. 
That's what he does. And he doesn't need you to figure out how to do it. He just needs you to come into his presence and worship him and, and put out a welcome mat to others who encounter his presence through you. The way has been open. Your sins have been forgiven at the cross. Jesus already did it. Come into his presence and worship him and let him transform you from glory to glory. It's what everybody's looking for. So if you have to wear a mask certain places, don't lose your salvation over it. I mean, we all have to do what we have to do right now, you know? But just realize the power of what you carry. And realize why the enemy is trying to cover your face all the time. And it's not primarily because he's afraid that... Well, it is, it is because he's afraid of what you carry and that you're contagious and you're going to get to spread that to others. <laughs> we do. We carry healing. We, we, you, you are the solution. You're not the problem. I remember years ago, this kind of shows my age, Mike Warnke. Christian comedian. <laughs> he, met, he had long hair and stuff. He would go to churches to speak, you know, and people wouldn't realize who he was, and he'd hear some old ladies say, well, I hope you get saved tonight. <laughs> they said, Lady, I'm not the problem, I'm the answer. <laughs> so it's not about what you look like. It's about what you carry. And the enemy is deathly afraid of what you carry. And the more time you spend in his presence, the more of that glory is going to be on you. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember Charles Finney. Um, The presence of God that he carried was so powerful and so tangible. People would come within a block or two of where he was having a meeting or whatever, and they'd fall down on the sidewalk and repent without anybody telling them anything. It's what happens in the presence of the glory of God. Okay, That's going to become a worldwide phenomenon in our generation. I believe that. And we get to carry the glory. We get to bring a transformation wherever we go, just by the presence that we carry. Amen? You guys up to doing that last song? Yeah? All right. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to get to come into the presence of the Lord and worship. And as we do, uh, they'll bring out the communion, and we'll do that as we're worshiping. And just let's worship in the presence of the Lord.